Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. Happy to have you with me. The other day I was thinking about an old commercial. It's a great commercial. Actually, it was a series of commercials created by Miller Lite Beer. Now, I was never a big Miller Lite beer drinker, but I loved these commercials and everybody in America was aware of these commercials at the time. That's how powerful they were. They contained sports stars of the day. They had the comedian Rodney Dangerfield. And the theme of this commercial was whether you loved Miller Lite beer because it tasted great or because it was less filling. So you'd see a scenario like this. Two teams would be in a bowling alley bowling away and all of a sudden an argument would break out and each team would be screaming at each other tastes great less filling tastes great less filling or there'd be two beautiful buxom women sitting in an elegant poolside gingerly sipping their Miller Lights until an argument sparked about whether Miller Light tasted great or it was less filling the next thing you know they're Pounding each other, getting into a fight that throws over into the swimming pool. And the next thing you know, they're in a mud wrestling match. Everybody in America knew these commercials. They were so well done. And I was thinking about them because of a podcast I did a couple of weeks ago with Melanie Whelan, CEO of SoulCycle. Melanie told me how important it was for a business to know its customers. Now, that may sound normal to any business person, the most obvious thing, but I've never been in business before. I've always been a journalist and a freelance writer. So I would go out, I would interview people, come back, write my story, send them into the magazine. I never spent any time asking readers where they were when they read my stories what time they read my stories, if they thought my stories should be longer or shorter. I just went out and did my stories. Well, what Melanie told me really resonated with me and it gave me an idea. That's why I asked you all to send me a photo of where you listen to big questions. I thought it would give me an idea about who you are. And I was right, because as these photos poured in, I was able to send back emails and ask you about big questions, what you thought about it, how you might improve it. And a resounding theme came through these conversations. A lot of people said, you know, Cal, we really love the interviews, but what we really want is you to tell more of your stories. And another segment said, Really love the interviews, Cal, but what we'd like is for you to distill the essence of the interview at the end in a takeaway, a takeaway that will allow us to use it as a tool to help us do what we do better. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing the reverberations of the Miller Lite commercial, only I'm hearing more stories. More takeaways, stories, takeaways, stories, takeaways. Well, you're going to get them both this week. So this is what I did. I went back to my friends at the Life is Beautiful Festival in downtown Las Vegas to get a story for you. And it's going to have a takeaway. Now, Life is Beautiful is a festival I love in downtown Vegas that takes place every September. If you get a chance this year, come on down. You can join about 137,000 other people who spread out over 18 blocks to hear great musicians, see fantastic artwork, and listen to some really smart speakers. The thing that I love about it, maybe the most, is this food truck court where people sit on long benches. You never know who you're gonna sit next to. And I've had some great conversations. 
get to make new friends. Now, I know about all this because I was invited to speak at Life is Beautiful a couple of years ago. And last year, the brass asked me to come in and interview many of the singers and entertainers that they invited to perform. They run those interviews on the magazine of the Life is Beautiful website. And that website is called lifeisbeautiful.com. So I got to interview a lot of the talent at this wonderful boutique record shop, 11th Street Records. Now, one of the entertainers to pop in was Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill has made generations of kids love science through humor. He's a national gem. If you want to know how beloved this guy is, man, you should have seen him at the festival last year. 10,000 people packed in to hear him speak. So he shows up at 11th Street Records to meet me, and he has no idea what's about to happen. No idea that I am about to tell him a story. Not a one-minute story, not a two-minute story. I mean, this is a story. It's like the writer Joseph Campbell once said, if you're going to have a story, have a big story or none at all. So I start in on my story and Bill is looking at me in disbelief. You know, he came in expecting to be interviewed, but he's a good guy. He's going along with it. I'd say he was humoring me, but he was really throwing in some nice deadpans, spicing up my story as it got off the ground. At about the seven minute mark, he must have started to wonder if this story was going to take up the entire interview. I mean, he came in expecting to talk about his new book at the time. And that book was called Everything All at Once, How to Unleash Your Inner Nerd, Tap into Radical Curiosity, and Solve Any Problem. But here's the thing. As I'm telling this story, I referenced the book. In fact, I'd underlined a particular quote on page 186 of that book that I'm leading to. I also reference an obscure scientific fact. So he's got to be wondering how this story is in any way attached to his book or his life's work. And then, many, many, many minutes later, boom! the story gets pulled together and the life lesson kicks in and a huge smile spreads across Bill's face. So congratulations, Cal. That is a well, heck of a story, well, well, man. Well, thank you. I, and uh, This it, is a life lesson, man. This is fantastic. There you go. And the, the thing about it is... Dude, that is really, that is a spectacular story. So I thought... Well, that's exactly what many of the listeners of Big Questions were asking for. The chemistry story. So Kevin, the manager, reached out to Justin Winokur. Justin's the CEO of Life is Beautiful. And when Justin heard that the fans of Big Questions wanted to hear Cal's stories, he opened his archives and graciously passed on this recording to you. So you're going to hear that story. Then you're going to hear my interview with Bill and find out how Bill Nye became Bill Nye. And then you're going to get a takeaway. Now, a lot of thanks are in order for me to bring this all to you. Thank you, Melanie Whelan at Soul Cycle for showing me how to listen to my audience. Thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring this podcast, enabling me to have a beautiful website and offering unlimited creativity over the internet to all the world. Thank you, ZipRecruiter, for mastering the science and algorithms, getting behind this podcast, and helping companies get talented and qualified candidates simply by typing a job description and making a single click on the computer. Thank you, Life is Beautiful, for sharing this story, they say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Not this time. 
And thank you, Bill Nye, for being such a patient, amusing, and wonderful guest. Here comes the chemistry story. Get ready. We're here with Bill Nye, the science guy. He's got a new book, All at Once. And there's a specific question in this book that I'm going to get to. But I got to tell you a story. I've really never told this story to anybody before. I can only make this confession to you. All right. Okay. I'm hopeful that it's a a charming and entertaining story. It will be entertaining. And I'll invite you in along the way because maybe people have told you stories that touch upon this, but maybe not because it's a pretty unique story. So let me take you back to 1972. Yes. I'm a, a, jun- a, a junior in high school. So was I. Oh, man, it's getting better and better. And I, are you in a chemistry class too at that point? Maybe. Don't tell me. The same year we're taking chemistry. Yeah. Who was the teacher? Okay. Was it Ms. Rushka? No, it wasn't. You had Miss Rushka? I had Miss Rushka. Was she, she good? Fabulous. She oh, was yeah. a fabulous teacher. Oh, yeah. Okay, I did not have a fabulous teacher. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I had a very boring teacher. Oh, man. How could you have a boring chemistry teacher? Are you kidding me? You can blow this, stuff up. This guy could make cesium boring. Uh, I, I get it. It's brilliant. <laughs> cesium, and I'll tell you why I know a little about cesium, mm-hmm. only because not of cadmium. what happens. No, no. No, no, not cadmium, cesium. Cesium, cesium. Very reactive, highly reactive element. Yes. Okay, so I cannot pay attention. Cannot pay attention. And the year is going by, and I'm failing. Wow. That's not good. No, not good at all. And I've got a teacher who lives on my block who always had an eye out for all the other students. A different teacher teaching uh, a different... Different class. uh, Freddie Martin, the math teacher. Right? Uh, Right. Freddie Martin, the math teacher. Yes. (laughs) So he's going around and he checks with the other teachers. How's Cal doing? And the chemistry teacher tells him, uh, no, he's going to fail. Cal's going to fail. Cal's going to fail. Cal has no way. He has no way to pass. It's impossible. Wow. Right? So Freddie Martin goes to my dad and says, hey, Cal's failing chemistry and there's no way he's going to pass. My dad comes home in a fury. In a fury. In a fury. And he says, you're not passing chemistry. I said, I could pass chemistry. Why? Because I'm 16. I'm fighting with my dad. Okay. You're not going to pass. I know it. Want to bet? Yeah, I'll bet. $10, $20, $30, $40, $50. $50. You can't pass chemistry. I don't even have the 50 bucks. No, you wouldn't have the 50 bucks, no. So now I've got this bet. And what I do is I take all my chemistry books and I start walking with them everywhere I go. And everybody's looking because now everybody knows about the $50 bet. And everybody knows now that I've got these chemistry books. I sit down at lunch. Okay, is it a coincidence that you bet $50 and the atomic number of cesium is 55? Now, I would have never known that if I hadn't met you. <laughs> okay, so everywhere I go, I sit in the lunch table. I open up chemistry book because the final test is in New York State's regions. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And if you pass the regions, it basically says you've passed this body of knowledge. Yes. And you're free to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. So all I got to do is pass this regions to get through this class. But you've gone uh, a year, a A, year or a semester. And I know nothing about chemistry. Nothing. Nothing. So what I do is now everybody's talking. Cal's really, he's trying to study chemistry. He's really going to learn this. He's going to try and win the 50 bucks. And pass the regions. That's right. And be free to go. And be free to go. That's all I want. I mean, it's more to it than just the 50 bucks. But I'm only opening the books and I'm not looking at the books. I'm not looking at any of this information because I know the only way I'm going to do this is by cheating. Oh, that's great. (laughs) 
It's a real role model. <laughs> well, wait till you hear the end of the story. So they say it's impossible to cheat on the chemistry regions because it's set in a gigantic cafeteria. Well, it seemed to be difficult, yeah. And, it, and tables are spread out. And not only are the tables spread out so that you couldn't look at somebody's paper at a next table, but there are two people sitting next to you and one's taking a physics test and other's taking a biology test. So it's impossible. It doesn't help you. And there's proctors walking between the tables. It's uncheatable, they say. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> and yet... I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell how I did this because I don't want anybody to get ideas. Because I learned something very huge from this experience. Very huge. Very huge. Not somewhat huge. No. Very. Very huge. huge. I figure out a way to synchronize time with a guy who's sitting like fifty. I don't want to say fifty yards. It's half a football field, almost. A long way away. Right. In the giant cafeteria, proctors, the, right, proctors, people surrounded the, by different tests being taken. That's right. You set quite a scene here. <laughs> and this guy later goes on to work for the FBI, by the way. According to you. <laughs> and so we concoct a method for him to transfer the answers to me, like 30 at a time at certain points on the clock. Now there's a problem with this. And that is the way we're doing it is if I miss answer number four. Yeah, yeah. You throw off the great Everything is down. Plus everything you're counting on him to get the answers I, correct. I know he is going to get a 92. Anyway. And then all I got to do is change five answers and I'm going to get an 87 and I pass. Mm -hmm. 87 is respectable on the regions. There you go. And so I am walking around for days hearing the music to Mission Impossible in my ears, you know. Dun, 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 dun. And that has become... Got, there you go. Got to wet my whistle here. <laughs> Do the whistle. <laughs> That's my best. Uh, sorry, it's not my best. So now I told my father, look, I'm going to... One thing I did... Bucks. 50 bucks, and I said, I'll pass this test by hook or by crook. Because every day coming home from school, the argument continued whether I would pass it or not. So now I go into the gym, 30 answers at a time, and I change five answers at the end. And you got no, a better score than he did. No, <laughs> nobody knows what happens. The next thing I know, three days later, the teacher is amazed, and he tells the math Cal passed. It's amazing. He was walking around with those chemistry books for days. I am so proud of him. Wonderful, right? Everybody knows I win the 50 bucks. I take it, splurge, we have a big party. How big a party? Well, well, 72, like, 50 bucks. Yeah, 72, big party was like McDonald's. It could actually, McDonald's used to be, well, it still is for little kids. It's exciting. And great time. And I'm free. Never have to think about chemistry That's what again. That's you thought at that time. The girl taking the biology test next to me saw me putting in 30 answers at a time. I had a suspicion. And she let it slip. And it didn't get back to the chemistry teacher of the school, but it got back to my father, who was furious, absolutely furious. Most of all, because I took the 50 bucks and I didn't do it honestly. Yeah. And I said, hey, I told you, I passed by hook or by crook. The, the idea here was to pass. But the, and he went into it, your father went into it, presuming that it was uncheatable. Exactly. Well. Rookie mistake for otherwise. <laughs> he asked for the 50 bucks back. Reasonable. I say, No. I told you I when passed. When was the last time you saw your father? <laughs> you got it. So you know what happens? A I don't. Guy, a gigant wait till you hear. Gigantic <laughs> argument breaks out. And every night he comes home from work. I am literally waiting for him so that we can resume this argument. The Does argument sound like fun. about chemistry goes on night after night till my mother <clears throat> finally looks us both and says, that's it. I don't want to hear about this ever again in this house. 
The word chemistry will never be mentioned in this house a bird again. Bird in a round stick. <laughs> you will never say the word egg. Yes. Or else I'm leaving. Yes. And we never talk about chemistry again, but we keep arguing about everything else. That's great. Okay. That's really nice. So we're going to fast forward here to 1994. And uh, 22 years later. That's right. Now, in the meantime, I it, this is very interesting because I can take this two ways. I can find out what's happening to you in this time, mm -hmm. or I can just tell you the story and we can go back. Which would you prefer? I want to hear how what happens in 1994. Okay, so 1994. I think I, we all do. <laughs> I am, at that point, 37 years old. Yes. And my first child is born in July. Is this a trick question? Yes. Uh, right. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> and as this child is delivered to my arms, I'm thinking one thing. Like, oh, man, he's going to hear about this chemistry test. Yeah. He's going to talk to my father. Yes, he is. you know... Grandkids. And your father thought this was acceptable, to cheat on the test. And so did his buddy, his confederate. And how did the woman next to him, or girl next to him, feel watching somebody cheat on the chemistry test while she was working very hard on either her physics or biology regent exam? All that has been All lost that in the just, years. Just, uh, yeah. and, oh, and the trauma... That would be felt by your chemistry teacher who thought he had inspired you to study the books you were carrying around, which was all part of your subterfuge. That, I, I'm guilty as charged. I'm, yeah. But, but here's, here's, what the, happened. here's what happens. Okay, I've confessed. And only to Bill Nye have I well, confessed. Well, actually, they're recording this. It's recording, and now everybody's going to know. Yeah, yeah. But I can only do it now because I'm looking you in the eyes, mm -hmm. okay? Now, so this is July of 94. You are about to go on PBS with this show in October of 94, okay? True enough. All right. I go to a nearby high school in New York, and I go to, to the principal, and I said, you know, I— I got to admit this. I cheated on my regents to pass you chemistry. You really did this? I really did this. What high school did you go to? Are you allowed to tell yes, us? Yes, this is Elmont High School. I, I cheated on the test at Deer Park High School. But at this point, I'd moved back to Long Island and good. Living, good. In Elmont, living close to Elmont. And it was a very amazing school. They had kids from like 90 countries. And so I thought, well... I got to go back and take chemistry again and pass it because my kid's going to hear about this. Yes, this is pretty cool. And so I go to the principal, I explain and they let the story. You audit the class. She said, You can come back and take chemistry again. They didn't think you were some axe murderer, marauding uh, child, uh, not gooder person. I, she looked me over <laughs> and maybe. Yeah, was she wearing glasses? Uh, yeah, no, I, kid. I don't believe I so. I kid because I love. Yes, yeah, so she looked you over. She, was, she evaluated, assessed, assessed your the situation. And I said, I, I need to go back and take chemistry. And and she said, okay, if you're going to do it, like labs and all. Yeah. Because she can't just. Yes. Come, that's no, right. Right. All right. This, this is the cooking school, but you don't get to use any <laughs> kitchen equipment or stoves or anything. What? No. Yes, you got to do the labs. Okay. So now I am going back to high school. And I do. I take the whole year of chemistry. Mark Azara is the teacher. And the amazing thing about this that I did not understand, and this is the worst part of cheating. When you cheat, you never know if you could have done it yeah. by yourself. Yes. No, yes. And so all these years, I thought, I could never pass chemistry. But what happened was... But what happened is, and here it is, here it is, it's right in the middle of your book. I am going to show you my final report card from a year of going back at chemistry. So he's opening, uh, oh, he's opening my book, New York Times bestseller, everything all at once. 
Uh, there you go. On page 187. Great gifts. Page 187. Page 187. Yeah. One of the pages that caught my eye, as we'll get to. And here you go. You he will see. presenting me with his uh, Siwanka. How do I say Siwahanka? Uh, Siwanka. Siwanka Central School District, Elmont Memorial High School, Elmont, New York. Chemistry, course title. Teacher is Mr. Azara. Mr. Azara. Uh, MP4, what is That's that? That's the uh, mark in period four, because I guess... You get, they, he gets a 95 in period four. On the regents, he gets a 93. His final grade is 100 and that's chemistry. It was Congratulations, in, it man. Was because it was in an AP class, and you get extra points for that. That's what they told me anyway. That's true, yeah. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've realized... All I had to do was study the freaking chemistry thing. Pay attention. I just had to pay attention. And here's the thing. This is where you come in. Now, if there was a Bill Nye when I was a kid, I never would have done it. Cheated, you mean? Never would have cheated. Because you would have turned me on to science. To the passion, beauty, and joy of chemistry. That That's right. So we're in Las Vegas, Nev, not far from, I'm picking a number, a dozen magician magic acts. Yeah. And Penn and Teller, if that's magic. Love them. Uh, and uh, they would say it's all done with mirrors, right? Correct. But in chemistry, it's all done with molecules. Correct. Words to live by, people. So congratulations, Cal. That is a well, heck of a story, well, well, man. Well, thank you. I, and uh, this it, is a life lesson, man. This is fantastic. There you go. And the the thing about it is, dude, that is really that is a spectacular story. Well, I mentioned that Joseph Campbell quote before. If you're gonna have a story, have a big story, or none at all. And that applies for my sponsors. I want you to think of a guy named Ian Siegel, who back in the day had to hire the old way. This is how he had to hire. Job would open, go to the computer, type in the job description, send it off to a hiring company. But that didn't get him all the qualified candidates he needed. So he type in the same job description and send it off to another hiring company. Still not enough. So we type in the same job description and send it off to another hiring company. On and on and on this went. And he got frustrated. And he thought, wait a minute. Why can't I type in one job description and with a single click get back the qualified candidates I need? Well, he took a massive pay cut to start a company called ZipRecruiter. And Ian reinvented the entire hiring process because now you can go to ZipRecruiter.com, type in the job description, and with a single click, you're going to get qualified candidates within 24 hours. That is a big story. And if you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, you're going to see how big a story that is because you are going to get a free trial. So check it out. ZipRecruiter. There's another quote I'd like to pass on to you. Comes from Maya Angelou. Goes like this. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And I feel another story popping out. Or about to pop out. Won't be as long as the story I told Bill Nye, promise you that. Only take a moment. Well, maybe a little longer than a moment. It goes back to an interview I did the other day with Olympic figure skating silver medalist Sasha Cohn. We're doing a podcast. You haven't heard it yet because we just did the interview. It'll probably come out in a few weeks. As we're doing this podcast, as we're setting up, I find out that Sasha's thinking about starting her own podcast. And so I've got my Zoom H6 recorder out. 
got the wires out, got the microphone out, and I'm showing her how it works. In fact, I'm giving her the wires and saying, here, plug it in yourself, see how it goes. Show her how to check the audio levels, the works. When I get done, she says, thanks. And she says, the good thing about this is if something goes wrong, I know I can always call you. You can be my technical support team. And I thought, whoa, 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 hold it. Who are you calling technical support team? This is Cal here. Now, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I'm an old school guy. I have not been very good with technology. In fact, I didn't start this podcast for two years because I was scared that I wouldn't be able to check the audio levels and handle all the technical stuff. But now I suddenly am being called a technical support team. How did that happen? I thought about all the things that happened since I started the business attached to this podcast. And it occurred to me that there was a huge step that I made that gave me a lot of confidence. And that was starting my own website on Squarespace. And if you go to calfussman.com and check it out, you're going to see how the photos pop, how the copy is crisp and clear. And I cannot tell you the confidence that gave me to see myself on the web in just that way. I think it was a crucial step. I think that confidence allowed me to put myself in the position where I could tell Sasha with confidence what to do. So I'm encouraging you to go to squarespace.com and check it out. In fact, if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you're going to get 10% off on a new domain name or website. Let me tell you something. You have no idea where it might take you, Squarespace. Now, what became of the guy who was uh, giving you the 30 answers at a time? I think he's he, an FBI he agent. He went on to work for the what FBI. What became of the woman or girl at that time who uh, she, was wondering if, if she was playing on a level field? She became... Yeah, moved to Phoenix, and I've I've seen her a little while back. Never, we never mentioned it. Uh, never brought it up this again. This is a heck of a story. This though, is to a, tell this her. is in this was what been a happy this, ending has been in the closet for all these years. Wow! So and, your son now is twenty three. That's right, and he has been imbued with this uh, life lesson. <laughs> I think so. And the is uh, his grandfather still alive? Um, Your father. Yeah, but because I was able to do this, everything came together. I guess it did. I was able to make peace with my father. Yeah. I gave him the $50 back. Yes. Okay. So we we now get to the point where I'm starting to see you right around the same time. My, my son can see you on, on TV. TV. On yeah. TV. And you have this amazing gift of combining comedy and science, and I'd like to know what were there moments early on in your childhood where you knew you had this skill, this ability to, one, talk to people about science or fascination with science, and two, to make people laugh or smile? Uh, well, thank you. I don't know if it's a gift. It's something I worked at. Now, uh, we will diverge or digress, I mean, a little bit. My dad was a prisoner of war. He was on Wake Island. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wake Island. This is in Japan, where World yeah, War II, well, right? It, Wake Island is the middle of Pacific Ocean nowhere. <clears throat> it's over the international date line. So on December 7th in Pearl Harbor, December 8th on Wake Island, they were bombed. It was part of this coordinated attack by the Japanese Navy. So they fought back for two weeks, and they were captured on Christmas Eve, 1941. 
And my father spent almost four years in prisoner of war camp. And if you get a chance to be a prisoner of war, I just don't do it. Just let it go. Don't do that. Anyway, I think the only way he got through it was by being funny or having a sense of humor. That's my interpretation. I may be extrapolating. I may be making something out of nothing, but... So when you heard the stories, there were... There were hardly any stories. Just my father was funny. He was funny. His timing was... Comedic timing was good. And my mother appreciated that. I think that's one of the things that attracted her to him. And so in my household, growing up, older brother and sister, comedy or humor was valued. This is my claim. I have met people who seem to have no sense of humor, and I am confident they have no idea who they are. Uh, so then the other thing about science is, as many people have said, and notably in English recently, or relatively recently, is Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. And I love science. I just think it's the coolest thing. So I I was a kid playing cards. I believe at this point in our story, we were playing crazy eights. And uh, I had advanced far enough as a cardist to be not playing with the official crazy eights deck, but with regular cards, which is the same game. There's just, you end up with more cards and they're bigger. They don't, it's harder to hold when you have small hands and so on when you're a kid. And I got stung by a bee sitting on the porch. And it hurt. I didn't know what had happened. I couldn't understand it. This thing was fantastically painful. And my mother put ammonia on it. And ammonia is the principal ingredient or the active ingredient in Windex. You know, people, ammonia is ideal for cleaning glass. But it's poisonous. And on the bottle, there's a skull and crossbones, all very troubling. And I thought, my mom's trying to kill me. But then the, the pain went away. Now, why did the pain go away? Can I say Lewis acid? Can I say Lewis acid? Do go you ahead. remember anything about Lewis acids uh, and basids? Uh, you got a hundred. I got a hundred. On your AP chemistry. <laughs> How about acid base? Go ahead. Go ahead. Bee sting is, I think, is formic acid and the... Ammonia has a hydroxyl group that's a base, and so it absorbs a proton, and the pain goes away. It becomes water. So uh, <clears throat> this just utterly fascinated me, and I started watching bees, and then I ended up working at Boeing. So uh, Hold it. How, how do bees get you to Boeing? Uh, they fly. They go forward and backward, up and down. I watched them uh, one summer in particular— my mom had azalea bushes she was very fond of. And the bees seemed to like the azaleas. And I, I, I watched so much. How much did you watch? I was convinced that I was seeing the same bee coming and going, filling her pollen baskets around her ankles and then flying off to beehive land. It was, I just thought it was cool. So uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, was an organic chemist and they gave me his uh, glassware to play with. And I just thought it was cool. I thought it was cool shapes. Uh, my um, nephew and the woman he married, my niece-in-law, whatever that term is, uh, are both uh, chemical engineers. They became chemical engineers, got PhDs in chemical engineering. And uh, they use a software called ChemDraw to make molecules and it will assess their presumed... Uh, uh, entropy and all this crazy stuff. But they, my grandfather never had software for making molecules. Instead, people of his era were taught how to blow glass. And so he had all these cool shapes that he had made for doing something or other. And uh, I just, I don't know, I just thought the whole thing was cool. And and so when you went to college, did you know you, you were taking off in this direction? Well, or? I went to mechanical engineering school. I mean, I... I was 15 working in a bike shop, a bicycle store, as a mechanic. I wasn't, I was my, I was still not, literally not strong enough. It's an interesting thing to carry bikes around. You gotta, you gotta be sort of, I had to be like 17 or 18. But, uh, 
this guy I was working with was all excited about going to engineering school. He was going to apply to Lehigh, venerable engineering school back east. Now the Lehigh uh, athletic teams are called the, the Mountain Hawks. But when I was a kid, they were the engineers. Woo, scary. <laughs> Woo, the engineers. <laughs> Look out for their fashion choices. <laughs> but they, uh, the, uh, uh, this guy, it just sounded like a cool thing to get a degree in engineering. Because I, what happened, I had an outstanding chemistry teacher, Miss Rushka, as I've mentioned. But I had a really fantastic physics teacher, a guy who's retired just two years ago. He's a real character, Mr. Lang. And uh, he had me take the physics AP, analogous to your chemistry AP. There you go. And uh, it was when it was new. And I guess, whatever, I got into Cornell, I think, because of that AP exam, I think. But uh, so at this Or just, probably just a mistake, a clerical error in the admissions office, I think is more <laughs> likely. And that turned out to be a remarkable school for me. And I had this remarkable guy, Carl Sagan, for one class. And now I'm the head of the Planetary Society, which he started in 1980. What happened? I don't know, man. Well, what does that do for you, having somebody extraordinary as a teacher? Well, it changes your life. And what is it you love about your favorite teacher? I don't know how you felt about Mr. Azara. Did you like him? I did. Why did you like him? Because I'm going to guess why, if you don't tell me. I, actually, I liked him because he included me in the class in a way that made everybody, after a while— think I was 15. Uh, it wouldn't be that hard to sell for me. Really? Having spent a few minutes with you. <laughs> I'd believe it. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I'd believe you, you it. Know what? You know what happened at the end of this year? At I the end don't. of that year? I was sitting in that class, and then the students all have to make a decision on what they're going to take next year. Because uh, they're in 10th grade? Or right, they're grade. in 10th grade, and so they had choices. They could go on uh, and take physics or... Mm-hmm. other classes. And so papers were passed out to everybody to check off what class mm-hmm. they want. And the girl behind me, a girl named Jaya Bal, hit me on the shoulder and said, what are you taking next year? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But there's, there's God, you must have been motivated. You had to learn all that old algebra and balancing equations. And, but but uh, you know what? That's all it was. It was about being balanced. Chemistry is about balance. And I was not balanced when I was 16. God, that's just, it really is a cool story, man. I was When you started this story, I was a little bit, where is he going with this? But uh, now I, am, I think it's fantastic. Skepticism is a discipline. I had that. Underlined. Uh, look, in he your, really look does. At he, is, he's pointing it's to my It's on page one eighty six. I had it under, underlined. Right. It is. So here's my question: You're moving along. You have this great teacher, amazing teacher. I had several. I mean, my goodness, Ms. McGonagall in second grade made an oasis in an aquarium. I thought it was the coolest thing. Mr. Lawrence in sixth grade. Oh my goodness. And Ms. Barnes in algebra in eighth grade cut me some slack when I needed it. That was very nice. But then um, Mr. Cross for biology, Mr. Flowers for science in se- seventh grade. Oh, my goodness, Mr. How could I have skipped over? Heavens. And then Ms. Rushka Mr. and Mr. Morris for math. Oh, these people changed my life, man. I don't, maybe I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> See, that's Ned and I, right? Okay, that's my well, dad. All right, and there, there you joke. go. Okay, the so here's he would do it every freaking time, <laughs> and you just and if he, if nobody said it, the whole family would sit there waiting for somebody. I'm going to take a shower. Be sure to put it back every freaking time. <laughs> and just like if nobody said anything, there'd be this pause. <laughs> so be here, sure to put it back. Here's the question. Now going off to a prestigious university, one of the great teachers in the world. You're about to be headed toward Boeing, and yet... Be headed, yes. <laughs> I get you. I know what you mean, yes. And yet, this part of your dad is 
obviously. Don't discount mom. Okay, it's still inside you, this comedic element. Yeah, yeah. Your mom was funny too? Well, so did your parents do this? They'd sit around on a weekend night writing limericks. No. Never did. <laughs> what is that's just unusual. It was just a thing they did. And uh not all the time, just once in a while, it's just unusual. And we used to get my father went to uh Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. I have a lot of family in Baltimore. And uh we used to get the Johns Hopkins magazine. And in the back was were all these brain teaser riddle things. And this was a family undertaking. Every week or every, yeah, whenever it came, every month. It was a thing that got discussed at length. Man. So uh, so the humor is ever present, but you're, you're moving off to Boeing. Can you be funny at Boeing? Yeah. Well, sure. So uh, there is, I think, still a publication. I don't think many of your listeners subscribe to it. The Boeing News. So one day... What I like to do at lunch was go play frisbee, play catch with a flying disc with a colleague, different guys. I would play, I would throw back and forth with. Still love throwing a frisbee. A frisbee is fantastic, uh, a piece of athletic equipment. But uh, so the Boeing guys come by. What do you do during your lunch hour? And it has a picture of me with a flying disc, you know, doing a little trick or whatever you and. I propose that the captions say, Bill Nye uh, eats lunch during his Frisbee break, <laughs> which is hilarious. But the Boeing News just couldn't, they couldn't. They, they couldn't go that far. Yeah. And it just says, Bill Nye enjoys the use of the Frisbee. And the reason is they can't, they couldn't bring themselves to admit that anybody eats lunch. Just oh, man. There's no such thing as a lunch break. At Boeing, and you know, at Boeing at that time, especially there was this this tension between the hourly employees and the people that considered themselves professionals. So uh, the thing is that the negotiations are done by a union, and they represent both the machinists and the engineers. And so there was always this thing. So they didn't want to say lunch break because this. Professionals are supposed to, you know, treat this professionally somehow. It's a long. That's a long story. But, but you your, asked your about humor, it. your humor has got. It sounds like it's got to come out. And so, at, when the humor is in you, it's got to get out. And where does it go? Uh, I don't know. I put it on the TV a little bit. And uh, but before before you, you got to earlier. TV, before you got to TV, there had to be a step. You can't just go straight. Oh from, no! How there did had you to be a television? step. Well, I I was. Like you, uh, were you doing stand-up comedy? Well, I was pressured by a new group of friends. So I got a job at Boeing. I, what my dad had a uh, disability that's uh, described just by the overall term ataxia, unable to taxi, can't walk. And uh, my sister t uses a walker nowadays and a scooter sometimes. And my brother's symptoms are coming on. And we're going to study at Johns Hopkins. But I was really worried about my dad. And I was worried about uh, money uh, at that time. So I just wanted to get a job. I didn't want to take the summer off and be sitting around home or anything like that. So I took a job at Boeing. And I left the East Coast. I went out west. I didn't know a single person in Seattle. And I just started making my way. And I met people who pressured me to enter the Steve Martin lookalike contest. And I won. I won. You, you do kind of look like well, him. Well, it's not that I looked like him. My claim, my claim, and I have told this to Mr. Martin to his face <laughs> many years later. Uh, my claim is I understood what Steve Martin was driving at better than the other contestants. And it's this sense of irony. It's this false uh, bravado and... Uh, these extraordinary, the extraordinary juxtaposition of things that don't belong together. And it's just, I just love that kind of humor. Remember when the world blew up and we all came to this planet on that giant space arc? You remember the government decided not to tell the stupid people because they were afraid <laughs> that uh, 
Well, how are we how are we doing on time? So that's just I love that style of humor. I thought it was really good. And uh, after that, I started being asked to do Steve Martin routines at parties or events, more accurately. And then uh, I, yeah, then you want to do your own jokes. So I started. I tried doing stand up. I I opened for quite a few people, and I middled at one point, but I never headlined. I was never that good. But your comedy's coming out. The science background is there. What's the moment that turns oh, yeah. into... Oh, yeah. So thank you for asking, as we say. So doing, trying to do stand-up comedy, I would go to open mics. And uh, it's, it seems to me, really, based on the fame of Steve Martin, there was one weekend when every city in the U.S. and Canada had a comedy club. Just comedy, not a variety show club, but just a stand-up comic. Or just stand-up comedy, I mean. And I'm saying this was around 1980, something about then. And uh, so you go to open mics, and I met several people. But we'd cross paths repeatedly. And at one point, a guy named John Keister asked me to participate in a bit he was doing for a comedy show in Seattle. So... The guy who ran, who was so-called program director of the KING TV, Seattle's in King County, and King TV is the NBC station. And he he said, I want to have my own, I want to have a comedy show. I want our station to have a comedy show. It's local programming. So he hired Ross Schaefer, who had won the comedy competition. And then his right-hand guy on the show, his foil, John Keister, asked me to be in a bit, and I played, while I was working full-time as an engineer, I played the crazy guy at the cash machine. And you've been behind the crazy guy at the cash machine. Yes. The guy who can't remember his code, right, the guy right. who yeah. interrupts you, the guy tells you, yeah. And it was, you know, funny enough. So then I started writing jokes or bits for this comedy show. And then eventually I quit my job, October 3rd, 1986, roughly. And, uh, uh, there were several months where I wasn't sure if I had done the right thing. You, in those days, computers were like this new thing. And so I realized if I stayed out of engineering, even for a year, I would be Oh, you're a toast. Behind. You're yeah, a well. toast. So in January of 87, we did the first bit <laughs> where Ross Schaefer's in a meeting. And the story has varied. I think... I think the real story had to do with um, uh, the lead singer in Pearl Jam. Um, Lindsay, who's the lead singer in Pearl Jam? Oh, come on. My career's over. Oh, no, my, <laughs> no, I've ended my career. <laughs> Ross tells the story it was, it was Geraldo Rivera. Uh, but I remember it having something to do with... Uh, with a woman who's uh, Rita Jenrette, who was notorious for having had sex on the steps of the U.S. Capitol building. And she had written a book and she was in Playboy. And the strange thing about that story, just almost incredible to me, is the guy she was having sex with was her husband. On the steps it's, of the Capitol. It just seems weird. I mean, the married people just seem very troubling. But uh, anyway, one of these people didn't show up. We had to fill six minutes. And uh, so Ross Schaefer, in an offhanded way, says, Bill, why don't you do that stuff you're always talking about? You know, you could be uh, Bill Nye, the science guy or something. And he closes his briefcase and he takes off because he was also the host of the hottest radio show in Seattle at that time, the Evening Drive show on KJR, a radio station so old that only has three call letters. So venerable. What's his name? Eddie Vedder. Yeah, Eddie Vedder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doggone. I'm sorry, I'm ladies. I'm sorry. Eddie, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been on stage with you, Eddie. I'm under pressure. I'm dehydrated here at high altitude in Las Vegas Nev. <laughs> and uh, so now, uh, all of a sudden, you're Bill Nye the Science not Guy. Not all of a sudden. So I did a bit, and it was very funny. The household uses of liquid nitrogen. Because we all have liquid nitrogen around. That's the premise. Of course we do. And it pays off when you chew marshmallows, which have been... Uh, roasted, frozen, and in, in liquid nitrogen steam comes out of your nose. And I, 
I was a young guy. I was volunteering at the Pacific Science Center. Uh, and uh, uh, I was a United Way big brother, you know. And so at the Pacific Science Center, I was a science explainer. I spent a lot of time with liquid nitrogen. <laughs> and so this bit was uh, organic. It was intuitive. It was it was very easy for me to produce or come up with it once I had the idea. So uh, after that, people wanted me to do Science Guy segments about every three weeks on the show. And um. I tried doing a couple that were had a little subterfuge, you know, they're a little bit magical. But then I decided that wasn't what was cool. What was cool was when it's real. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're Bill Nye, the science guy. Well, not next thing. So that was 1987. We did a thing. There's There are two people at, working at King on Seattle today. Can you imagine? You don't have to see Seattle today to know what it was. It was a show for people who are home in the morning. Right. Almost all women, almost all raising families. And so there was pizza recipes, the high school marching band, breast exams, you know, everything that you have on those shows. Got it. What to do when you're pregnant and so on. And so they, Jim and Aaron, were enjoying that, but they started their own production company. They wanted to do environmental videos. So they hired me to be the host of a thing called Fabulous Wetlands for the Washington State Department of Ecology. So Washington State, everybody, is so hip. It's so forward-thinking. It, Look it has they a department did. of ecology. And so uh, that was really well-received. It was 1988. <clears throat> and then it took another four years to get a contract to do a pilot for the Science Guy show. And then it was on syndication, the first season and a half, and then you saw it in 1994. Right. And so it took everybody, it took 17 years. I mean, wow. <laughs> and as soon as, as soon as everybody saw it, we knew. Uh, what good. was it like for you to be on the other side of that? Well, I still don't get it. I say this all the time. I, I still don't get it. Uh, the influence of it. You know, I, I was on the elevator at the hotel today, and these young women were just uh, having a moment because they were on the elevator with what's his name? Because so many people grew up watching the show and, according to you, getting inspired by the show. And so I claim what you liked about Mr. Azara and maybe what you didn't like about your chemistry teacher in 1972, uh, Mr. Azara's passionate, right? He was into it. He loves chemistry. He loves molecules and entropy and, and uh, is it Clavius? What is that? Uh, chemistry is not my first thing. Uh, but Dalton and discovery of uh, of atoms, discovery of molecules, protein folding, all this. He loves all that stuff, right? Yeah. Whereas <clears throat> you're a guy in 1972 probably didn't. And was much older and maybe just... Older? What's wrong with that? No, nothing. Not, no, 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 Bill. No, you, yes. Right. No. You know, the thing about what age can do... It, it can kind of chip away at curiosity. It, yes, you get worn out. That's that. You get worn out. That's right. So here's the thing. You have this amazing run where everybody looks at you as the, the guy who can make science. Well, I had a lot of help. We had a great crew, you know. We had a terrific crew. And, and now you're writing this book. And there's some serious stuff going well, on out there. Well, we're just trying to change the world here, Cal. So, but here's the thing: you got everybody's attention, and now, we're, like, we're dealing with climate change on on a scale that According we've never to me, seen we it before. Are, yeah, yeah. And so, is all this power that you've amassed? Is it? Are you able to now use it? For good? Well, you tell me, man. So now I'm working on a Netflix show called Bill Nye Saves the World. We just shot 12 more. I presume they'll come out before the holidays. Uh, uh, so watch it. Turn it up loud. Subscribe to the service, as we say. Is, is there, if you're breaking this down, if you're teasing how to save the world? So we do shows about topics which... Uh, I or we, the writers and I, feel are scientifically, 
It's a scientific point of view of socially important topics, things that are either overlooked or debated uh, despite the scientific evidence. Can we be saved from climate change? Is it too late? Well, the word saved, yeah. I mean, everybody, it's been said many times that humankind is extinction-proof. Humans run the whole show right now, and this is something to appreciate. Humans move more um, soil and rock than the earth does. Then we move more soil and rock than erosion does. I mean, think of the scale of that. That is really amazing. So we are running the planet. It is our place to take care of or not. But no matter what happens, the Earth will be here, and somebody will live through it, like apocalyptic science fiction, like uh, Mad Max or what have you. Uh, but what we want is to preserve the quality of life for as many people as possible. Here in Las Vegas, we want solar panels on every roof. Doggone Good it. idea. Yeah, and uh, solar hot water systems and have all the pools heated with solar hot water, have the air conditioning run geothermally, and let's do all this. Let's get her done. Let's go. Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the White House during I know. between 1976 and 80. Reagan was elected. He took them off. And he abandoned the metric system, Mr. Reagan did. Why? And he tripled the national debt. Hey, you guys. No matter what else you think, he tripled the national debt, which, which set the U.S. back a lot. Why is it? Do you feel like there is an energy moving against science at well, this point? Well, right now, yeah, the fossil fuel industry has been really successful at introducing the idea that scientific uncertainty, plus or minus 2% or what have you, is the same as doubt about the whole thing. And that's wrong. Plus or minus, 2% does not equal 100%. And this is crazy making because the opportunities are huge, huge. We could have wind turbine solar panels and uh, some tidal energy, some geothermal energy. And we could run the whole United States, Canada, Mexico, the whole place right now renewably if we just decided to. And these jobs, erecting wind turbines, Installing photovoltaic panels, designing new, somewhat more efficient photovoltaic panels, manufacturing them. That could all be done in the U.S. It's called Silicon Valley. And silicon is what photovoltaic panels are made of. Everybody, let's go. Let's get her done. We want to electrify all ground transportation. By that, I mean we want all electric cars. And the problem... For you and Mr. Azara's students to solve, Cal, is air <laughs> transportation. And the most promising idea right now is hydrogen. So instead of using diesel fuel or kerosene to run jet engines, jet fuel is almost the same as kerosene, we would use hydrogen. And we'd make the hydrogen from water using the electricity from the sun and the wind. Let's go. Let's get her done. So I tune into Netflix in 10 episodes. I am going to learn how to save the world. Well, uh, we did 13 and now 12 more. So oh, that's okay. 25. 25 episodes. So even far. better. Even better. And I am very hopeful that we'll get renewed. And I say we because it's a whole team of people, man. I have never had this big a crew plan on this level. I mean, you know, we made the Science Guy show, which I'm very proud of, in a warehouse in Seattle. The Saves the World show we make on a stage in Culver City, part of L.A., Los Angeles, <clears throat> that is the stage next to the stage where they shot The Wizard of Oz. It's six stories high, seven stories high, and there's a hundred people running around in black shirts just doing amazing workman-like, journeyman-like work. It's really, it's just really an honor to be part of. So watch the new show, you guys. Turn it up loud. How many episodes will you need to actually save the world? Well, I think, uh, you know, seven seasons. <laughs> how, how long can a feller go before he's just worn out? And I'll tell you, you know, I, I have more energy than ever. I have to say, it's a strange thing. I want to thank Life is Beautiful for sharing this interview. 
You know, Life is Beautiful was named Music Festival of the Year by the 2017 Polestar Awards. Last year, they had performances by Chance the Rapper, Rachel Platten, Gorillaz, Lorne. So I encourage you to go to lifeisbeautiful.com. Check it out. You'll see what past events look like. And as time rolls on, if you keep going to lifeisbeautiful.com, you're going to see this year's lineup of great performers. While you're on the web, check out my sponsors. If you need a hire, go to ziprecruiter.com backslash Fussman. That's F-U-S-S-M-A-N. Type in your job description and with a single click, you'll have candidates you're looking for within 24 hours. And get this, that's for free because you're going to get a free trial. It doesn't get any better than that. ZipRecruiter. You know what else you can do on the web? You can go to squarespace.com and look at how you might take your website to the next level. Squarespace enables you to have the most beautiful site. And if you type in the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you're going to get 10% off your next domain name or website. Hey, you make use of these tools, you may have some extra money on your hands. Use it to come to Life is Beautiful in downtown Vegas this September. It takes place between September 21st and the 23rd. Now for our takeaway. Here it is, and it comes from my old pal, Irish Dave Nihill. Dave's always saying, the end of laughter is the height of listening. By that he means, when you're done laughing, you pay attention to the next thing that's said in the hope that you're going to laugh again. Well, Bill Nye is great proof of this. He has made us pay attention to subjects that we might never have bothered to study by making us laugh and smile along the way. I encourage you to use humor as much as you can today to see if people aren't paying more attention to you after you do. Which leads me to another quote I like, this one by Gene Houston. At the height of laughter, the universe is flung into a kaleidoscope of possibilities. I hope that you can make somebody laugh unexpectedly today and that your life is a kaleidoscope of possibilities until we connect next week and beyond. Cheers.